Saturday, July 8th, 2023, Major League Wrestling returns to pay-per-view. Before that, I caught up with the voice of Major League Wrestling, Joe Dombrowski. Going back to when you were a kid, have you always been a night person? People need to understand that we're recording this like almost nine o'clock at night. And me as a guy, like I worked in morning radio forever. So this might as well be three o'clock in the morning in my head. Right. But nine o'clock at night, if, if you've always been a night person, this is kind of when you get up, start going around and start getting your, your, into your work groove. Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that I've worked better um, at night. I was more creative at night. Um, I was more focused at night. Um, it's quiet. Nobody right. bothers you. Uh, your, your phone's not going off every five minutes. Um, and I'm just sharp, you know. Uh, I've never been a morning person. I've never even been a first few hours after I wake up, <laughs> no matter what time that is, type of person. Right. And for the longest time, I, my, my sleep schedule actually got so bad I lapped myself. Because uh, for the longest time, my, my, my uh, sleeping hours were 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. or 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. or something in that category. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of my creative work or my editing work or anything that involves, you know, uh, expansive thought process, it'd be 1, 2, 3, 4 in the morning, whatever. Um, but you combine that with my motivation with my travel between time zones, with a dirty little villain called Daylight Savings Time. <laughs> and all of that together completely destroyed my sleep schedule to the point where I was not getting tired at night. I was not getting tired in the morning. I was getting tired at about 4 p.m. Uh -huh. I was not at liberty to go to sleep because uh, things need done. Right. So I had to actually lap myself and get to the point where now um, I'm sleeping at night like a normal human. I will probably fall asleep tonight by about midnight, 1 a.m. I'll probably be up about 8. There's good and bad to it. It feels weird. Right. It's a different lifestyle than I'm used to. Um, and give it a matter of time, maybe this weekend's trip, maybe next weekend's trip, that's going to revert back to the old habits. But um, I think when you're in uh, any kind of business like mine, you got to be a chameleon and you got to eat when you can because you don't know when your next meal is and sleep when you can because you don't know when your next bit of downtime is. So it's uh, it fluctuates. Well, Joe Dombrowski, the voice of Major League Wrestling, the reason I ask you about the always being a night owl is I saw online your dedication to the late Don West and a guy who people know in professional wrestling. And I would assume as a guy who's up late at night, you had a lot of experience spending one on one time with the late Don West. Late Saturday nights was kind of the impetus of me as a night owl because there was a pro wrestling TV block on every night, uh, every Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And when it started, it was ECW. It was Shotgun Saturday night. It was a local promotion called Pro Wrestling Express. And then over the years, uh, you know, all the other syndicated shows and XPW and Women of Wrestling and everybody filtered in and out. But when I found um, the fact that the, the, the small independent low-powered channel that had uh, the most wrestling in that block, uh, when they cut their signal at 12 or 1, and they switched over to Shop at Home Network, it's the year 2000 that I first heard Don West. He was not in wrestling yet. TNA right. wasn't a thing. 
And I could not care less about sports cards. Not interested. Um, wasn't I was I've dabbled in sports as a fan, but I was never really a sports collectible guy. But I could listen to Don West sell me Michael Jordan rookie cards all night. I could listen to <laughs> Don West tell me how excited he is about this uh, Dan Marino signed football or whatever he was shilling. I believed that I needed to have it. I never bought anything, but I was transfixed. His excitement was infectious. And um, I would fall to sleep with the uh, uh, dulcet tones of Don West screaming about the Jimmy <laughs> Ted rookie cards. And maybe that's why I'm the way I am on camera. Maybe that's why I'm the way I am off camera. I don't know, but I know that I watched every Saturday and Sunday that he was on doing the, the four-hour overnight sports collectible block. And when he ended and the knife show came on, I was so disappointed. Um, but when, when teams like Impact Wrestling first started in 2002, I feel like the first trainees they announced were Don West and AJ Styles. And immediately I knew, okay, this is the company for me as a fan moving forward. Um, Don just has that infectious presence about him where – if you don't care what he's talking about, he'll make you care. And that's why he's such a great salesman. And that's why he's so missed in every realm he was in, from sports cards to uh, pro wrestling to, of course, anybody that, that knew him. I wasn't fortunate enough to, to know him on a personal level. But uh, impersonating him is why I passed high school chemistry. So I was able to share that story with him on Twitter a few years ago. And he popped huge for it because we had to do a presentation selling an element from the periodic table. And uh, I wrote an entire skit of the Shop at Home Network. It was a group of four of us, and I was the, of course, uh, uh, rambunctiously loud host, and we had characters around me. And in between me doing my shtick, you know, here's the scientific facts, and here's the atomic weight, and all this other stuff. And our group got 104%. And I think that brought my average for the year up to about 60 or 61. <laughs> so I just barely passed. And it was entirely Don West's fault because, uh, uh, you know, being able to, to, to perform like him motivated me and brought out the best of me in a, a class that I'd probably largely given up on and realized, ah, I got a, got a low ceiling here. Well, I would say the 104% is uh, perfect for Don West. But you said that you, you weren't that big of a collector of sports memorabilia. But yet now, I think anyone who knows professional wrestling and follows Joe Dombrowski, you know that you are a huge collector of professional wrestling memorabilia. When did that begin? What was one of your first pieces? And, and how does it continue to grow? Because, I mean, I can see it behind you. It, it just continues to grow and grow. Yeah, there's. Uh, I'm still in the process of, honestly, I, I have so many things. I moved about three years ago, and so much of it's still in boxes because it's just a huge undertaking. Um, but it started when my wrestling fandom started. I mean, I, I've been buying things or, or acquiring things, as it were, since I was five years old. Um, I was an only child. I didn't have a lot of friends. I wasn't the most social butterfly in the world. So what did I do? I spent hours in my room um, in my own little world uh, with, with action figures. And um, I would, you know, play with the Hasbro figures uh, for, that were out for in, in the early 90s. And my first two were Brutus the Barber Beefcake and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Uh, don't know why, but that's, those are the two I picked. 
out of that first series, and I would sit alone for all hours. Sure, and, sure. And, and I would have my own events, and I would tell my own stories and have my own rivalries, and I would do my own commentary, and I would be Gorilla Monsoon, and I'd be Bobby Heenan. And I'm just <laughs> sitting there alone as Gorilla and Bobby arguing with myself. Yeah. And that is why I'm a sociopath. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just, that's where the attachment came. And from the Hasbros, it grew to the magazines and the VHS tapes. And, oh, here's a different VHS tape with something I don't know. What's Memphis wrestling? Who's Jerry Lawler? And mm-hmm. why is he mm-hmm. beating all of these people I have heard of, you know? Right. Um, and it, it just became something I was so transfixed on uh, for so much of my life. I, I had phases here and there. I'd be into, oh, here's the Ninja Turtles phase, and here's the Power Ranger phase, and here's the NASCAR phase, and all of this stuff. Uh, but wrestling stayed, and it just grew. And as the years went by, here's a bigger pile of magazines. Here's more tapes. Here's me with a PWI almanac now because I don't have the internet yet in the 90s and right. I can learn about the history and oh the territories and the Von Erics and the AWA and it just became such a bottomless pit such a rabbit hole to go down um, and it, it's not like I set out like I want to have every Coliseum video I want to have every Hasbro it just grew organically to where now it's like all right, I, I do have almost everything. How do I get the UK exclusive WCW figures? How do I get uh, the rare Coliseum videos that, you know, were $200 back in the day and are probably even more now? You know, how do I get, um, you know, uh, just finding things in the wild that maybe I didn't know existed? And it's manifested into, all right, now in the world we live in today, it's so easy to have that collection digitally with Peacock, right, right. With YouTube. Um, it's easier to collect action figures because you can go on eBay and get a lot of a hundred of them for however much you're willing to spend. Now it's morphed into how do I get into the nooks and crannies that people don't know about? And that's what really motivated me to, hey, Les Thatcher, can I dig through your garage and take all your tapes? <laughs> Hey, you never put these Heartland house shows out when you right. were WWF developmental. Hey, you don't have legal rights to release the Brian Pillman Memorial shows, but I just met Brian's son. Maybe we can do something with this, and maybe we can preserve some of wrestling history. Uh, I've always loved nostalgia. Um, I, I look back on how I grew up and what I grew up watching, and if I discovered it as a 30-something, I would hate it. But I discovered it as a five and a right. six year old. Sure. So I can I can always watch that. Um, so I love going back and rediscovering things or discovering things for the first time and uh, just building this library because one day um, I'm going to disappear out of the public eye and I'm just going to be immersed in this world again and hopefully I'll be sitting naked on a big pile of money uh, <laughs> won't have to worry about anything else in the world but uh, uh, to me it's comfort to me it's uh, home to me it's what I know and I'm just so fortunate that I not only do it as a hobby but have also been able to find ways to do it as a business and monetize it as well so 
Um, I still get excited about it. I still update my YouTube channel as often as possible because I think there's so many things in our history that people forget about or just never knew about that if you were alive back in the day and a fan, oh, man, I remember this. I saw it on TV. If you are a new fan, man, what is this? I never even heard of this. And we can spread that love of pro wrestling in such a, a more vast and rapid way than we ever thought possible. Well, Joe, as a guy who I've got a generation ahead of you as far as professional wrestling, and lately I have been obsessed with you and the AWA figures because those figures, so for people that know, you know, back in the day when WWF at the time was making the big rubberized, you couldn't move those. Those AWA figures were basically a cheaply molded head placed on another action figure's body. And it's just so interesting to see that come through because I remember when I was a kid going and getting the toys, the difference in sizes. And of course, I think. I was just sold by the big cartoon presence in the time of the early 80s of that rock and wrestling connection, but yet AWA, NWA, my earliest memories of wrestling are the great Kabuki being scared out of my mind and him and Gary Hart and how real that felt as a kid. Uh, Gary Hart is probably one of the most underrated men. Yes, yes. That will never get the love he deserves because he didn't have that WWE run. Right. But, um, Again, one of those guys in a completely different way than, than Don West, but he could just transfix you with his words. Um, AWA figures predate me yes, uh, because they came out when I was uh, being born. Right. I was a little busy. Um, LJNs, I had you know friends of the family or whatever that would give me the LJNs or you know find them at a flea market. AWAs were always tougher. Um, so I didn't start getting into those until probably when I was an adult and like, all right, I've got every LJN I'm willing to spend money on. No, I'm not going to pay $350 for that King Haku yet, but maybe one day (laughs) if I can get a good deal. Um, all the Hasbros that I'm willing to spend money on, um, not gonna, you know, uh, there's, there's a few that I'm not going to touch. I do have the one, two, three kid though, but I had to go back and get the AWAs because I kept running into your Larry Zabisco's, yeah. your Road Warriors at whatever conventions, uh, in toy bins or in secondhand stores and collectible stores, and you know I just got uh, Pretty Boy Doug Summers and Playboy Buddy Rose with the two uh, newest editions, and they're pretty rare. Um, I got them at a, a collectible store here in Pittsburgh, but uh, my friend who has a groomsman in his wedding gave me a gift certificate, so I knew I'd get it at a discount technically. Because uh, it wouldn't all be my money at that point, so <laughs> eh, why not splurge? Um, but yeah, like if you ask the average person that's not an ardent collector, that uh, hey, what was the first um, Ric Flair action figure? What was the first Shawn Michaels action figure? What was the first Scott Hall action figure? They would never guess they were in the AWA line, right? But they were all in there. Well, yeah, because and even the, the, the Ric Flair, uh, as I remember correctly, NWA WCW didn't have a toy deal at the time. But yet Ric Flair, as the as the touring champion, they put out an AWA figure of him in those LGN figures. AWA Remco figures. Yes, yeah. Remco, Remco, yes. Um, it was Flair and Larry Zabisco. I got to do the Zabisco deal. Larry Zabisco in a two-pack. And, yeah, WCW didn't have a toy line until 1990 or 91. Um, but... That was so cool to me that, the, it, ironically, no one ever gave me an AWA figure when I was a little kid, but uh, someone did give me a bunch of random He-Man Masters of the Universe figures, and I never watched that. I was never into that. Sure. But um, 
it's cool that there's so many similarities. Oh, they were the same size. You could face them off. And that that was my generation. I could take my He-Man and he could face off against Ric Flair. Couldn't do with the big Hogan. Couldn't do with the big Andre. I'll tell you what. Ric Flair would take He-Man to his (laughs) Broadway and he'd make him look great. He'd be waiting me at the Omni after the match. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Give out his hotel number. All right. Joe. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it just so cool to, uh, to to discover that, to bring that forward. I don't have the same emotional attachment to the figures of today and the characters of today because I'm watching with different eyes. Sure. I'm involved in the business. I look at it more of dollars and cents than I do with just the childlike innocence of like, oh, my God, this is this amazing larger-than-life world, and it's infallible. And now I look at it, and it's like, Oh, hey, my friend did something cool on TV tonight. I'm going to text him about it later. Right. You know, still cool, but different. Absolutely. So I'll always be attached to the older stuff in a different way than I'm attached to uh, anything of today. I love them both equally, just differently. Well, yeah, and it's because of the passion that we had as kids that it has been able to transpire as we're adults. We talked about your travels. We talk about that you're going to be on the road, and we need to talk about never say never. First of all, MLW. We've got a whole new uh, roster of champions on uh, in MLW, and here's what I here's what I love about MLW. I think there's a respect in MLW that if a participant, if an if a fighter respects MLW, we're going to respect your schedule. You can come in and and you can work it into your system. If you've got other fights to fight other places, that's fine as well. But respect is a two way street. And if you don't give respect, you're not going to get respect. And one man that learns to beat the respect out of people, and they need to know that, is Jacob Fatu, your brand-new openweight champion. Jacob Fatu just defeated John Hennigan, uh, Johnny TV, if you will, <laughs> as twere. Uh, but Fatu, uh, along with Alex Hammerstone, I would put up there as the two uh, uh, pillars of the company, the two most dominant uh, forces. Of course, Fatu, part of that bl- Bloodline, part of that Samoan wrestling dynasty. He is the son of the Tonga Kid, uh, a.k.a. Islander Tama. And, you know, between him and Uncle Rikishi and Uncle Umaga and all of the cousins that are all over the the industry right now and, of course, dominating on on Mondays and Fridays, um, the Samoan bloodline has never been more prevalent. And I don't think there's ever been... Uh, as my phone rings and interrupts me on the air, um, you will go away now. Um, but uh, there's never been a more athletic member of that family at that size. Right, yeah. Be 300 pounds and do double, triple spring moonsaults and to fly with reckless abandon as he does. Uh, Fatu is a very, very special talent. Some 820 days as MLW World Champion before Hammerstone unseated him. Uh, but still going strong, Lance Anawahi, son of Samu, grandson of Afa, one half of the tag champions with Juicy Finale. And uh, the new Samoan SWAT team is kicking all kinds of ass, and uh, they will, all three of them, be in action. July 8th, Fight Plus, Never Say Never, Fatu to defend against heavyweight hustle Calvin Tank, who's another very athletic big man. I'm looking forward to that collision because you got two guys who... If you look at it on paper, uh, not knowing their body of work, just look at the sizing them up. You're going to expect one kind of matchup, but when you actually see them do what they do, it's going to be a completely different type of matchup. And uh, Lance and Juicy going to defend against the calling. Ricky Shane Page and Akira with Raven by their side. Uh, the newest, biggest threat. They've taken out so many members of the roster from, I mean, 
heavy players from from the Von Eric brothers to Killer Cross to, to Gangrel to you know on down the list. There have been you know Mads Kruger, EJ and Duca. They have not been seen since they crossed the calling. And I've known Ricky Shane Page for upwards of twenty years, and he's a little bit out there, and he's he's very dangerous. And I'm just getting to know Akira, and I get that same unsettling feeling. And Raven is. He's a master of psychology. That's not just in ring. That's in the locker room. That's manipulating others. That's playing mind games. That's playing you like a fiddle. So that's going to be physical. It's going to be violent. When Raven is at the helm, uh, expect the unexpected, but also never cross a Samoan. So something's got to give July 8th. July 8th, it's going to be on Fight Plus, live from Philadelphia, the 2300 Arena. But MLW now back on cable and dish with BN as well. So if people want to check it out leading up to the event, we can check it out on BN, both cable, dish, and also on the Fast Channels as well. Yeah, and also uh, if, if you are a fan of YouTube like I am, you can see all the episodes on YouTube as well. Um, so if you are a person, on Earth, and you have electricity, you're not Amish, and you have access to the internets in some way. The series of tubes called the World Wide Web. You can get MLW television from Fight Plus to YouTube to be in, to be an extra, whatever your preference is. Uh, catch up. And, and I always say MLW is not just great at, at hybrid fighting styles, but it's great at giving you the best of so many different elements of what wrestling is, whether you prefer the, the glitz and glamour of a, of a high-end TV production, whether you like the grittiness of an ECW or, or Mid-South, whether you like the Lucha Libre of AAA, uh, Japanese Strong Style, whatever you like, uh, MLW will find a way to cater to you. And yeah, we have talent that passes through doors that are forbidden as well, and we have interpromotional fights as well, and I think if you have loved wrestling at any point in recent history, uh, let alone now, you're going to find something on the program that you're going to enjoy because um, from the different weight classes to the different fighting backgrounds, MLW really is something for everybody. And I think that's going to be on display in a big way. July 8th, it's the first time we've been live since I've gotten there. There have been live specials before. Uh, on BN and, and, and a pay-per-view here and there. Um, but, of course, when I came in, we're still reeling coming off of COVID. We're still trying to get our sea legs under us, uh, much like the rest of the world was. But now we are ready, as uh, Doc Hendricks used to say, L-I-V-E, live and in living color. And um, I'm so excited to be live on that platform for the first time with MLW. Um, you're going to see everybody go uh, give it their all because I think this is probably going to be the biggest MLW audience we have had uh, for, for any of our special events uh, post-pandemic, if not in general. So um, stakes are high, and everybody's looking to make a name for themselves because the wrestling world is more unpredictable than ever before and you gotta stay on your toes unpredictable you talked about these interpromotional matches tell me about the featherweight champion brand new in mlw as well delmi exo you've got an interpromotional match coming from wxw with ava everett yeah wxw is the top wrestling promotion in germany um you know if uh, uh anybody saw uh 
Shigehiro Irie on one of our recent broadcasts. Uh, he is a WXW Unified Heavyweight Champion right now. But Delmi Exo uh, calls herself the God Queen, and that's not meant as a cocky moniker. It's meant to instill self-confidence and belief in oneself. And Delmi was able to rise to the occasion and, and do what really nobody's been able to do up until recently, and that's defeat Taya Valkyrie on a big stage. Taya Valkyrie was the only MLW featherweight champion. Taya Valkyrie has been dominant as the most dominant, not to be redundant, but, but the, the most decorated, the, the longest reigning uh, AAA, Reina Delena's Queen of Queens champion ever. Uh, four reigns, totaling well over a 1,000 days cumulatively. Um, no one could touch Taya. But Delmi Exo found a way, and um, Delmi's going to have to have that A game as well because Ava Everett is coming to make her name now off the hard work of Delmi Exo. And the Featherweights have been a project of MLW for the past year or so, and we've seen slow, steady progress ever since. But now you start to see talent from all over the world take notice and come in. And, okay, you've had your success in Mexico, in Germany, whatever the case may be. MLW is becoming a destination location for the female fighters as well, which is still a new concept for Major League Wrestling, but one that's rapidly growing. So I'm excited to see what they do on a grand stage as well. Well, and before I let you go, Joe, we mentioned your travels and you talk about interpromotional matches and you just mentioned Mexico as well. Got to mention it. Triple A, you're going to be heading down there and a guy who's coming off one of the biggest matches, one of maybe maybe the best matches of the year. Uh, Kenny Omega heading back to Triple A. And this is a rematch that everyone has been looking forward to. Yeah, they had an incredible breathtaking matchup in a main event on Dynamite a couple of months ago. Did Kenny Omega and Ijo Del Vikingo. And uh, Vikingo is just a scintillating, breathtaking athlete. He, he, he does things that make you think, if I squint hard enough, I'm going to see the high wires. I'm going yeah. to see the tricks. But there's no tricks. Vikingo just, just defies gravity. And the underlying story here is Kenny Omega reigned for uh, many, many months, I believe well over a year, as the AAA mega champion. He had the top title in AAA until he was forced to relinquish it when he got injured. Uh, after he took time off when he lost the AEW world title to Hangman Page in uh, late 2021. And with that, he had to forfeit the Triple A Mega title, too. He couldn't defend it. He, he wasn't cleared. He was getting his surgeries. Vikingo won that title December 2021. And ever since, whether it's Bandito, whether it's Ray Phoenix, whether it's uh, John Hennigan, whether it's anybody that's come in the path of Vikingo, he has reigned. But Kenny Omega never lost that championship. Kenny Omega was never defeated for that championship. Now he's back. And he beat the mega champion on Dynamite. So something's got to give. Kingo and Kenny Omega one-on-one. July 15th, that'll be on Fight TV as well as part of Triple Mania Tijuana. And I can't wait to hear the electricity to, to, to see those two men who, I mean, everybody's raving about Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. Everybody's raving every time that Vikingo steps into a ring because he tops himself. So what are these men going to do on the biggest event in Mexico in a stadium with tens of thousands of fans with the most important prize of Vikingo's life that he wears with such pride? Watch any of the past Triple Manias on fight right now and watch when Vikingo 
comes out to ringside to greet our promoter and owner and president, Maricela Pena. And the, the, I love the smile on Vikingo's face because there's so much pride and there's so much uh, uh, jubilation. He can puff his chest out and know, I'm wearing this, I'm representing AAA, I'm living my dream. And he's not going to give that up to an outsider, Kenny Omega, who's represented so many companies all over the world, but he's not AAA every week. Vikingo is. So something's got to give in that collision on July 15th, but... That's assuming that my voice is okay after July 8th and never say never because we've got Hammerstone and Alex Kane for the world title. And I understand that we've got some rumors that we're going to be chasing over the next couple weeks on TV over the identity of who's been financing Alex Kane's Bumaye Fight Club and may have a financial interest in this title fight. And I haven't gotten to the bottom of this yet, but some very powerful, well-known names have come across my desk as potentially being involved, and we'll explore some of those names on MLW television over the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned. All right, explore that as we get closer to Never Say Never. He is the voice of Major League Wrestling. You can also see him one week later, Triple A in Tijuana. Make sure you rest the voice in between. Joe Dombrowski, always appreciate you making time, and dude, we'll be talking to you very, very soon. Be safe on the road. I always appreciate you and appreciate this platform and appreciate everybody else. Supporting Pro Wrestling.